This is the Wealth and Law Podcast, a podcast about the intersection of personal wealth and the legal landscape. We'll take a deep dive into relevant topics. We'll basically teach you what we know, and we'll engage with guests with deep expertise in their field. We hope that you'll enjoy this episode and many more episodes. So please join us on this journey as we try to bring you relevant information that is both timely and important for you to know in order to engage in this area of the world. Welcome to the Wealth and Law Podcast. I am Brent Nelson, and this is an interesting time of year because if you're a CPA, you're pulling your hair out. Uh, if you're a lawyer, you're always pulling your hair out. And I'm sure for other people, they have their own stresses and their own deadlines. And so today, uh, I thought we would talk a little bit about uh, wellness, stress management, I'll call it, and all things kind of mental health. And for that, you need somebody who knows a lot about it. And that is why Matt Schmidt is with me today. Again, actually, this is a return for you, Matt. Yes. Yeah, it's been a while. So for the few people who don't know who you are, who are you? Yeah, hi, uh, my name is Matt Schmidt. I work for a firm called Schmidt, Seth, and Akmajian. Um, I'm a partner there. We do personal injury law. Um, and when I'm not wrangling my head over that. Uh, I'm trying to keep myself well and stress-free. So I have done a lot of studying and education and teaching on wellness and stress management. Yeah, a lot of a lot of teaching to bar groups, bar like lawyer bar uh, groups. It turns out that lawyers are not the least stressed people in the world when surveyed. Yeah. No, I don't remember what it is, but we are in the top five. Oh, well, okay. Of least stressed or most oh, stressed? Oh, I'm sorry. No, I, most stressed. Most stressed. Yeah. One we'll of these days will be number the one. legal industry on any stress-free. Uh, <laughs> I almost feel like it's bad if you tell lawyers those statistics because they're so competitive, they might try to win. Yeah. <laughs> Fair. Well, I, I think it's a, it's a pertinent topic for anybody, just it's not specific to lawyers. And a lot of the stressors of lawyers uh, are probably common in other industries. I don't think we're so unique as, as an entity that we have very unique stressors. It just happens to manifest itself in this very weird pressure-filled career that we have. Correct. I mean, I think most of everything that I've learned can be applied to anyone. Um, so this would be good advice, not just for lawyers, not just for doctors, but for anyone in this modern world, this crazy modern world we live in, uh, to you know take some of tips and tricks on how to live a balanced life. Um, it's not just meant for lawyers, but we do have a very stressful industry. So it's often very helpful for us to remind ourselves that there are some strategies that we can use to keep sane. Yeah. Well, why don't we talk then or start at sort of a high level about some of the stressors that you have in mind and then some of these tips and tricks that you're mentioning? Yeah, sure. So I think I started this about 10 years ago, got out of law school, had gained a ton of weight, was stressed <laughs> out about being thrown into the legal world. Um, you know, they in law school, they teach you a lot about how to think like a lawyer, but they don't really do a great, I mean, maybe things have changed, but when I was in law school, they didn't do a lot really great job of teaching you how to be one. So you get kind of thrown in the fire, things get stressed out. So I started taking free time to read about self-care, stress management, um, and I've been doing it since. And over time, when you read these books, you come up some of the same theories and philosophies and tips start popping up. So I started taking notes um, and I've come up with about five what I call primary stressors, and then about five stress relievers. Um, and I want to I want to clarify, too, that there's no there's no answer to uninterrupted continuous happiness or 
a I guess I said stress free earlier, but there's no such thing as stress free. Um, as humans, we are inherently born and gifted with the wonderful uh, gift of stress. So it's not about eliminating it. It's about managing it, uh, embracing it at times, and then learning how to sit with it when it's really unpleasant. And what I've come, so the five stressors, it's the environment that surrounds us, um, feeling out of control or actually being out of control, um, having too much choices to make based on too much information, especially relevant in our modern society, feeling isolated, which COVID very much did that for our society. And then just literally just being worried, um, lost in our minds, um, lost in thought, and just worrying too much about what the future holds. The five stressors. So go well, ahead. I was going to say, like you did, you basically just described my whole life uh, <laughs> in five bullet points. Well, I yes. always tell people to, you know, think about something they're stressed out about, and I almost guarantee that it will fit in one, if not more than one of these categories. Yeah, definitely. It's actually interesting you mentioned uh, environment uh, and isolation. And I I actually have found in my career, well, you, you mentioned this interesting phenomenon about being in law school, learning a lot about thinking like a lawyer, really learning how lawyers think, I guess, is maybe more the way it is. Uh, I don't know if you come out of law school knowing exactly how to do it, but then you're thrown in as if you know exactly how to do it. And that environment can actually be full of people who know how to do it, but themselves are stressed. And so that can kind of feed on you. And then I I always found, especially as a younger lawyer, it's still still the case now, though it's a little bit less now, but certainly as a younger lawyer, that there was just a lot of, it did feel a little bit isolating. There was a lot of pressure. It's like the, you know, this project or this thing, it needs to be done perfectly. And guess who's the person who's going to do it? You, youngling, who doesn't really know what they're doing, you know, make it happen. Uh, so it's, it is interesting. You can check the box on a lot of those five and they overlap often. Oh yeah. I think I agree with that full heartedly. I mean, you're thrown into a new environment where again, you're, you're kind of taught how to learn the environment, but you're not really taught how to act in the environment. So it's a completely new, unpredictable environment where you do feel out of control because you don't really know what you're doing. You have way too many choices to make based on a ton of information that, you know, you're brand new to. Isolated, because you're kind of new to the game, um, while all these other lawyers that you have to work with have been doing it for a while. And as a result of all that, you're just worried to death um, that you're gonna violate some rule or you're gonna do something that's not not accurate or correct with how you handle a case or how you handle a client. So it's yeah. all very new and, and stressful. and I, think that's kind of what prompted me to balance it out a little bit. Yeah. And I didn't mean to suggest that that all just melts away. No. <laughs> I think it just changes. It changes as you get more experienced. The cases you get become more challenging and then you're still always kind of having to sit with it. So mm -hmm. it's about learning how to sit with it, I think, is the primary goal in all this. Yeah, for sure. Well, I knocked you off your stride there a little bit there, uh, Matt, which I apologize about. So you were going to you were going to give us your five tips. Oh, like the answers. Yeah. The answers. Oh, yeah. The answers. Yes. <laughs> That'd be great. Um, so, I mean, it, some of this is a little bit common sense, um, but when it comes to the environment, the goal there is to become as aware and conscious of the environment that you can be so that you can target, you know, what you would call the negative anchors in your life that are dragging you down 
and you can also target the positive aspects of your environment so that you can, one, focus on the positive, um, because actually science proves that our mind focuses on what it wants to focus on. So if you focus on positive things, your results will tend to be positive. Um, and then be aware of the negative surroundings so that you can either ignore them and eliminate them, you can learn how to flip them into a positive, or just even simply being aware that they exist and just being consciously like, okay, I see you and I'm not gonna let you bother me, um, can be enough to kind of rewire your brain into looking for the positive in your environment so that you don't feel what we call anchored, dragged down, and you do feel like there's potential for growth and positive things to come. Um, then, uh, obviously, the lack of control was the second one. So the goal there is to establish control by trying to figure out, you know, literally what you don't have control over so that you can ignore those things because it's not worth worrying about things that you literally just have no control over. You can focus then on what you do have control over um, so that you feel more, things feel more predictable and you feel more in control of the environment that you're in. Um, third, choices. Uh, obviously, we get overwhelmed by the amount of choices we have to make by the amount of information we were given. This is this could be an hour long seminar in and of itself, but that all goes back to survival. We literally worry about the choices we make because we're worried we're gonna make the wrong one and that the wrong choice will lead down a fatal path. Um, so we worry a lot about that. The strategy there is to limit your choices by making them before they have to be made. And that also depends on what your purpose in life is or what your calling in life is. A lot of that has to, to do with answering the question, why am I doing this? So that you can make choices that align with your values. So so just to just to kind of flush that out a little bit then, because you were saying uh, make the choice before it has to be made you mean you mean set the 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 value parameters that are going to govern those decisions before you have to make the decision because you won't be able to anticipate of course every single choice but but at least you could have the framework built out i think there are a ton of there are a ton of strategies on how to make choices but i think going back to what you just asked the number one strategy is to define what we call your calling in life your purpose your values What's important to you? Um, and the more you can define that, the more choices become easier to make simply because if one choice does not align with what you believe in or what your purpose is and one choice does, then those decisions become a lot easier to make. And right. if you make them before they need to be made, you're not wasting energy in choosing. You're actually just using your energy to do what you already chose. So that's a in my life, in my practice, doing things like time blocking or to-do lists or planning ahead of time has been a vital part of my sanity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I second that. There's, I, I have to do the same thing. So it sounds like you and I are very similar. I can have so many things to do, it can become almost overwhelming, almost debilitating, where I don't even know where to begin because there's just so much to do. And in those moments, I have to force myself to literally make a list. If I don't already have a list going, if I have a list going, go back to the list, look at it and try to reprioritize the list, but literally just make a list and then work off of that list and then tell myself, if I do 
these things, that's a success. Kind of ignore everything else for the time being. And then, of course, once I work through those, say, four or five things, if I get through those, that's a success, then I'll move on to the next things. But I'm not going to worry about those other things in the interim. And if I don't do that, sometimes uh, I I can feel myself almost being paralyzed by it. Yeah. And, and I think it's important, too, that, you know, you architect a game plan or whatever, but it's not always going to work out the way you had planned. But I think what you will find is that the plan in and of itself makes you feel more comfortable with how tomorrow is going to go. Um, so things may get switched around. You may have to pivot a little bit. But sure. having that blueprint can really make you feel a lot more comfortable knowing that you, you're you going into tomorrow with a game plan. I mean, it's like football. You might have to change change it up at halftime. But you at least have something on paper that kind of guides you Um, because as you said I think a lot of times if you try and choose on the fly uh, you have a really hard time figuring out which decision is the right one and then by the time you've made that decision you've wasted a good portion of your day and a lot of energy making those decisions and by the time you get done you know a lot of the stuff that you wanted to get done that day has to be put aside for tomorrow or later in the week yeah I find well, number one, I I try not to take random calls. And I usually, if somebody calls me, unless I know it's important, unless I know it's urgent, I'm waiting for it, I will almost always send them off to get scheduled for a time later on. It could be later on that day, but it's going to be later on. It's going to be a set time. So I almost don't, I, I just couldn't handle taking those calls because it's kind of like what you're talking about. I could get to where I'd have three phone calls that would throw me completely off of what I was doing. And all of a sudden now I don't know what am I supposed to be doing? Am I supposed to be running, fighting fires on these three calls that were random, in essence? They may not be real emergencies. Or am I supposed to focus on the thing that I that I started out working on? And that was one thing. Like I literally had to do that because otherwise I couldn't get things done at all. And I was I was sort of caught in this this uh, this situation where I was stressed by too much choice, like you're describing. It's not only too much stress, but when you transition from one thing to another thing, you also consume energy. Mm -hmm. Um, So the science shows that if you can stay focused kind of from one thing to the next to the next, you can you conserve a lot of energy. And that's why multitasking can be so bad for us. I mean, that's a whole other topic. But when you have to go from the task you had planned on doing to a phone call, then to emails, then back to the task, then back to another phone call, you consume a ton of energy. And by the time you're done your afternoon, you're you're overwhelmed, frustrated, tired, um, and you've lost all that energy. I mean, the science shows that we do lose our willpower throughout the day. So just another quick thing, when you are feeling like you're out of gas at the end of the day, I mean, don't beat yourself up because all of us are feeling that way. It's right. a natural part of who we are. Right. All right. So I stopped you at choices. Oh, rudely. yeah. Well, I very rudely <laughs> interrupted you, Matt. No, no. I know you're going to hold it against me forever. This is good stuff. So, <laughs> so uh, you know, strategy number four um, you know, this was really easy. Actually, when I give a presentation, this is just one slide because it's so common sense, but just social interaction. You know, you feel isolated, mm-hmm. surrounding yourself with the people you love and trust and the activities that you're passionate about. You know, maybe it's part of your purpose or your calling. Staying engaged in our community is a vital part of who we are as humans. And there was actually a study. I think it's the longest running study in the world, either from Harvard or Yale. It's one of the big ones. 
just tracks people's lives for decades and decades and runs this these surveys. And the number one pe- thing that people say they regret is that they worked too much and that the one thing they wish they had done more of is spend more time with their family and friends. It's almost a universal truth at this point um, based on the amount of data that this study has collected on people. Mm-hmm. So stay in touch with your family, stay in touch with your friends, stay in touch with your community and stay in touch with the things you love doing because that's kind of the whole reason we're doing this thing called life. Um, yeah, I mean, social interaction, I can't stress enough, but it's also very easy to kind of explain. So it doesn't take very long to cover that one. <laughs> no, but I think it it's important and I think it is, it's related to the the choice conversation we were just having, or maybe even the environment conversation we've been having about, you do have to be intentional. You do have to, because you can get over-calendared and, and overburdened with other things if you allow it. Certainly in our industry, which I think can be all-consuming if you let it. Uh, there's almost never a shortage of things to do in our industry. So you could be doing it constantly. So you have to very intentionally turn it off and very intentionally go do something else. Yeah, and I think I would broaden that, not just our industry, not just our industry, but our society in general. Oh, yeah. This capitalistic society that pushes maximalization, you know, perfection. And then as a result, what we can get lost in is not being satisfied, overworking ourselves, and then as a result, ignoring things that are as important, if not more important, than the work that we do. So there is this very hard... And this is very hard for lawyers, our legal community, to kind of digest. But there does have to at some point be a line that you are going to have to draw to say, you know what, the work I did today is not perfect, but it's good enough. It may even be great. And I can now go on this evening and be with my kids and my wife and enjoy time with my family because I've drawn that line instead of letting society, you know, put these expectations on us that are too high to begin with and then we get we drown in it and as a result we neglect our family friends and kids and all the things that are equally if not more important to us oh you don't think you're supposed to always be making money and be (laughs) productive to the max every minute of the day well i guess that's why you're not building a billion dollar enterprise matt i guess that's where you're failing yeah i'm drawing the line at billion dollar enterprise it's terrible Uh, And then the last one is just so we worry a lot. One thing to remember, we worry because our minds are actually preparing us for, again, this goes back to survival. When we worry, it's because our mind is preparing us for worst case scenarios. So, and you know, how many times do you worry about the worst case scenario and nothing even remotely close to that ends up happening? Well, your mind worries about it because it wants you to be prepared for it if it happens. So it's preparing you to survive the worst case. And it doesn't care about the best case, because if you knock it out of the park, then you continue to survive and everything's great. So first of all, when you're worried about something, just remind yourself your mind's actually kind of doing you a favor. It's preparing you for like, you know, worst case Armageddon scenarios. Uh, But when you do worry, I mean, the the counter response to that is to try and stay active and try and stay focused. Um, if, If you think about it, when we worry, we're literally doing the act of thinking. That's you can't really avoid avoid the act of thinking when you worry. Right. 
when you are in the zone and you're enjoying yourself and you're not worrying, it's because you're at, you're doing something, literally actively doing something. So the more you can stay active, the more you can stay out of your head, um, the less you're going to worry. And that does go back to planning things in advance so that you don't have to sit there worrying because you already deliberately thought about it ahead of time. Right. I And I completely agree with that. I have a few tricks for myself because I, I can definitely get to where... Uh, I'm worrying too much. Uh, you know, typical lawyer. You just worry about everything. It's what you're supposed to do, right? You're supposed to be a lawyer. You just spot all the issues and see everything that's wrong, uh, which is not really a great way to conduct yourself as a lawyer. You also have to find solutions. So when I find myself feeling worried, uh, what I'll try to do is, well, one of two things. I'll either try to stretch it out, sort of extend the time because I just I know I personally I can't sustain a heightened level of worry over a long period of time, uh, which I think is natural. And and the second thing I'll try to do is I'll try to break it down into I'll, whatever it is I'm worrying about. I'll try to break it down into smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller pieces or smaller and smaller and smaller parts. So now I'm focusing in on a much, much, much smaller issue instead of getting worried about this really broad issue. And then the last thing I'll do is I'll give myself deadlines. Like I'll, I'll impose a deadline and say, all right, by the end of today, that thing's going to be done. And then when it's done and it's off, I'm not worried about it anymore because it's done. I was worried because it wasn't done. Yeah, I and like so the self-imposed deadline idea. Um, I don't know that I try that, but I think I will because I can see where you're going with that. Um, I mean, you have it somewhat naturally because you're doing litigation work and there sure. are there are deadlines there's a lot of stuff that I do where we might not always have a very specific deadline, uh, but they're important projects. They're certainly important to the clients. Uh, I know that for sure. And so sometimes I'll be worried about the project. My worrying about the project is not getting the project done. Correct. And so I just have to fo force myself to get it done. And if I force myself to get it done, then it almost, for myself, it almost forces me to then focus in on the small parts. Okay, what about this component? How do we do that? What about this one? How do we do that? And then get, and then complete them. Well, and what you just mentioned kind of goes back to a little bit of the whole control aspect. So oh, a lot yeah. of times mm -hmm. we worry because the task is seen so large and so insurmountable that we feel like, how are we, where do we even start or how am I even going to tackle this? Um, so it's akin to kind of waking up in the morning and saying, I want to run a marathon. Uh, we don't just get up and run 26 miles. That sounds impossible. So our mind thinks like that too. And right. to your point, there's actually a strategy that I teach. It's called the Zorro Circle. Um, the idea is Zorro, you know, he wants to go out and kill his enemy immediately, but his enemy is a master swordsman and will he will murder him immediately if he goes out and tries to be a hero. So his mentor says, no, we're going to start with this. You're going to master the sword in this small of a circle. And then when you complete that, we'll move the circle and then we'll move it and then we'll move it out. We'll expand it until you can master the whole environment. And then you can go kill a guy. Um, and that's the concept there is what you said. If you have a very big, overwhelming task, it's a very good idea to break it down as much as you can, because then you start tricking your mind and to the idea that it's it's a big task that's been broken down in the small. It starts looking a lot more doable. And as you cross these things off, your mind starts seeing how capable you actually are of getting it done. Mm -hmm. So when you have your to-do list, don't just write, run a marathon. Um, start, you know, today I'm going to start with the first lap. 
and then tomorrow I'm going to go from there. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I mean, I, I uh, if I have sometimes a, a big project or a document to prepare like that, and I'm a little worried about not worried because I don't know how to do it. Usually I know how I'm going to do it. It's just doing it is very different from thinking about it. When you do it, you got to get it just right. And you got to think through all the issues. So it can be a little bit of a challenge. So sometimes when I'm feeling that kind of pressure, that nervousness or that that worry and stress from having a project like that, I'll force myself just to do some part of it. So maybe there's an easy part, set it up, format it, create the paragraphs. Maybe I'll do that. Or like, you know, if, if an analogy for you, if you've got a big motion for summary judgment, you're nervous about it. Well, you, chances are you've done it before. You could focus on just getting the the legal background and that stuff all set up, make sure you got all the cases cited correctly, make sure there's no new cases, little bitty bits that are kind of easy to accomplish. And I just find once I start doing that, that natural worry, my natural worry, I should say, not speaking for anybody else, starts to melt away a little bit. It starts to feel less scary. And I'm and I've heard a lot of um, uh, psychologists talk about this phenomenon and all of them basically say the same thing you're saying about, you know, this worry is it's natural. It's normal. It's built into us. We're trying to it's our it's our brain trying to protect us from dangers. So rather than confronting it and then letting that stress us out, confront it and recognize what's happening that, oh, doesn't make it easy, but, you know, to at least realize like, oh, I'm having a, this normal reaction. Now I have to try to solve it. Well, I'm just being, again, awareness. It goes back to awareness. Yeah. I mean, if you're aware of the fact that that's, you're not insane and this is a normal part of being a human being and that you're going through the same thing I'm going through, then it feels more comfort, comforting knowing that like that's normal. Um, right. So, yeah, I mean, awareness is a big one, because if even if you feel uncomfortable, if you can kind of recognize, OK, why do I feel this way? Why is this happening? How is this happening? What can I do about it? But also this is normal. Um, then you can kind of sit with that more comfortably than thinking that something's wrong with you. Right. And I think, you know, one another point that I want to make, I mean, I think in, in, this is getting better. But society has kind of promoted this idea that weakness is a bad thing and that um, being soft or weak or having these worries or stress is kind of a it's a weakness. So we are very reluctant to talk about it. And I think we need to do better as a society to feel comfortable sharing things with people we love and trust about what we're going through. I mean, you hear it all the time. I'm fine. Everything's perfect. Couldn't be better. Facebook is a monster. I, I mean, social media is the worst with projecting how perfect everyone is. It'd be nice if we could just be more comfortable with saying, hey, Brent, you know, today I actually had a pretty rough day. And then we can talk about it. And what you'll learn is a lot of people will say, well, you're not crazy. I just went through that last week. And if we can, you know, we can come together as a community and sharing not weaknesses, but normal human experience, I think we'd be better off as a society and promoting the idea that we can share these things with each other. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think it helps you understand yourself better too. If you're, if you can talk to other people about it, share those common experiences and hear other people's experiences, oftentimes, at least for me, when I do that, I learn something about myself. You know, somebody will say something about what they're experiencing and it will be very similar to the way I feel or think or have have felt or have thought, and it helps me understand myself. And and occasionally you'll get, yeah, I went through that, and this 
this A, B, or C really worked for me. I, I tried that. And then you can get some ideas on how you might be able to tackle it. That's um, right. If you don't feel really comfortable talking to someone you love or trust, a good friend or, a, you know, your spouse, then try therapy. I mean, therapy is fantastic. Um, you get to go into a comfortable setting where there's no judgment and you just get to share with a non-biased individual what you're going through. And that does, again, go back to awareness because you're actually processing your thoughts out loud and you become more aware of what you're going through by just literally talking it out with somebody else. Um, wellness coaching is also a great uh, tool. I actually just got certified this year as a wellness coach. So it's a little like therapy, but it's more about defining values like we talked about earlier and then using those definitions to create goals for yourself based on whatever it is you want to work on. But just having that other human being to feel comfortable speaking with can can do wonders for people who are feel alone or feel isolated because they're sitting by themselves in their thoughts right. and want to share it somehow. Yep, completely agree. Well, Matt, I, I know you and I can talk to this or talk with each other about this topic for a very long time because uh, we've had many long conversations about these sorts of things. Uh, but if people are trying to find good resources on these topics, do you have some that you recommend? And if you don't have them off the top of your head, we can just add them into the show notes and, and people can find them there too. Well, I have a couple. So first of all, I do write a quarterly column for the RIT, which is the Pima County Bar Association's publication. Um, and I've kept a compendium of all my articles. So I, if you if you want, I can send those to you. And my email is mschmidt at azinjurylaw.com. Um, I also, one book that really got me going in this is it's called The Happiness Advantage. And I don't remember who wrote it, but it was a guy that went to Harvard and his whole four-year thesis was trying to f- study the, the answer to happiness. Mm-hmm. It's a phenomenal book. He's really smart. He had he has a TED talk that's amazing too. Um, but just off the top of my head, those are the things. And again, if, if you have any questions, just email me. Uh, and because I do love talking about this stuff. Yeah, that's great. And I think the guy who wrote that book, I could be mixing him up with a different Harvard person, uh, is the one that runs the study. There's there's uh, one of the longer studies. I believe at Harvard is on happiness. It's been running for decades. And that's the one I think I there are several about. books about that study. It's excellent. So yeah, that's, that's the one that I was talking about that concluded that family and friends is the most important thing in most of our lives. Yeah. All right. Very good. Well, I'll try and uh, share some of those those resources in the show notes. Of course, anybody who's trying to get a hold of Matt, I'll have his contact information in the show notes. If you don't didn't remember it from when he told us his email, uh, Matt's a great resource. And Matt, as usual, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, thanks, Brent. Hey, listeners, thanks again for joining me on the podcast. It's fun to do it for you. If you're enjoying it, please subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to my blog at wealthandlaw.com and follow me on social media at wealthandlaw. I'll see you there.